0: For all of us, it's about predicting where the consumer is going and getting half of it right.
2: One of the things we want to do is create ads that don't suck.
0: Embracing change
1: creates great possibility. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. This week, we have two special treats in the RSS feed for loyal listeners of Marketing Today. One is where I guessed I'd go on and uh, get interviewed on What If So What by the host of that podcast, Jim Hertzfeld and Kim Williams-Chopek, which is part of Proficient's digital strategy team. And I had a lot of fun when that conversation And they did me a really big favor, and you're going to listen to this bonus episode, which is outside of their normal podcast, me answering the standard questions I ask everyone that comes on our show, Marketing Today. So I hope you enjoy me answering my own questions here in this bonus episode.
2: So Alan, you ask your guests some standard questions on your podcast to ground your discussions. Jim and I thought it would be fun to turn the tables and pose those same questions to you. How about it?
1: That sounds awesome.
2: All right. So you're a seasoned marketer now, but what experience of your past defines and makes up who you are today?
1: So mm. to listeners to my show know, this is my favorite question to ask people. And it's because it, it goes in so many different directions from car accidents that people have had to obviously parents and family and, and friends and things like that. And I, I think I've got two, frankly, you know, one happened to me or was... I guess unfolded to me early in my life, probably around second grade. My dad, who's deceased now, but he he suffered from mental illness and uh, bipolar disorder in particular. And um, you know, I'll never forget the moment coming home and and realizing that dad wasn't just like himself today, <laughs> and you uh, didn't want to get out of bed and and things like that. He worked second shift, and so when I came home from school, he was usually. Getting ready for work or, or doling around the house, and that day just wouldn't get out of bed. And it was I'll spare you all the details, but it just was eye opening for one and and two. I think what is instilled in me is kind of this sense of resiliency that, like. I know I can depend on myself to get things done. I don't need to depend on others, maybe father figures in this, in this example. Even though my dad and I had a great relationship, it was just unstable at times. But I think more importantly, as a marketer, it's taught me empathy to better understand people and um, sense what's going on in certain situations. I call it my spidey sense. <laughs> so, But the other thing that happened to me in my professional career was mentors or people along the way. And there was this couple in particular. I was coming out of college and I had just... Started two companies. I sold sold one, and was the other one was struggling. And so I was going to go get a real job, <laughs> and I was scanning documents in for course packs at the college, right? And it's just it's a very important job, but a very horrible job to have uh, because I mean these things are have thousands of pages, and I'm having to adjust each one as I, as I scan all these papers in to make them digital. And the woman that worked there and did copyright clearance. Made Andy Hurt was her name. She was like, you are much more than this job. <laughs> and and I was like, okay. And she had a, her husband, Alan Johnson, uh, worked at Bell & Howe at the time in the education department for a large field service organization, big corporation at the time. And uh, she said, I think my, my husband need somebody over there. (laughs) And I'll never forget that because like, I didn't know how to go get a real job. I'd only been an entrepreneur. I wasn't really a marketer at that point. I was a psych major in Mm, undergrad.
2: (laughs) Makes sense.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I, I can't thank Mandy enough. And she was just, her and Alan were unbelievable people in general and both very progressive thinkers, liberal arts majors, masters of fine art and poetry is what Alan had a, a master's in. So very quirky as well. But yeah, those two in particular, I think stand out early in my career. So mentors as well.
2: Wow. Those are really, yeah, truly both really formative experiences. And and we do talk about empathy all the time. So it's, it's good to hear that that's a that's a key word for you. Jim, what have you got for Alan? Yeah,
0: that's, that's fascinating, Alan. Thanks for thanks for sharing those the really deeply personal details, too. I, I kind of leads right into this, the next question we had, and and that is kind of looking back. And these are great reflective questions, but you look back in, to your younger part of your career, younger part of your life, and you, it sounds like you learned a lot. But what advice would you give to your younger self if you were...
1: Be able to go back in time and share it. This one's easy for me, and it's start meeting more people now. Like <laughs> what I mean by that is that like it wasn't until grad school so that I learned about networking, and I, I even hate that term because it sounds dirty. And and frankly, how to do networking right. I was really lucky at the University of North Carolina Chapel Hill, the business school there. They brought in a speaker, Keith Ferrazzi, who wrote. Never Eat Alone, which is a book I recommend to a lot of people. And uh, he spoke to our class and just knowing what the power of meeting people can do for you and you know, learning from their experiences is also building your network. Of course, it changed the trajectory of my career. And I've since got to actually cross paths with Keith in real life. And, uh, and then we actually worked together for a little bit of time. So it was like, definitely a bucket list item, somebody that was kind of formative in, in changing the trajectory of, of my career to actually get to work with him for a, a bit of time as well.
0: That's great advice. It kind of um, echoes something I, th- I thought about in this question, which is kind of building an understanding of, of people's needs. I always thought that that was one of the really understated values of networking. It's it's you, We kind of think of it as, I guess the way it was sort of explained to me earlier in my career was you have to network so that people know who you are, because you got to promote yourself. And it's really I think in retrospect for me is learning about others, right? Going back to building empathy, understanding how to relate to different people, communicate in different ways. So that's fantastic advice. Kind of a again, kind of an kind
1: of an old school idea. Thanks for bringing, <laughs> thanks for bringing it back. It's true, it's true. And I, I mean, I'll underscore something you said. I mean, like the best way to network is to help somebody. Honestly, that's the best way to network. And if you just bring that to networking, you can do a great job and you'll meet a lot of interesting people along the way. That's awesome. Kim, you have a question for Helen.
2: Well, I think advice to your younger self is important, but today, what one topic do you believe marketers need to be learning more about, if not networking?
1: Yeah, well, it relates to something we were talking about earlier in designing systems and marketing systems and your company's marketing system. And I think most marketers are not engineers. There are some, (laughs) I've talked to a few, there are a handful of them. But I would think anything related to system dynamics or systems thinking, which is really the study of complex systems and how they drive specific outcomes. If you think about it, marketing is a complex system and we are trying to achieve an outcome that is not linear in many cases. And I think if we could learn from that, type of thinking, we could build better marketing systems too. And I'll recommend a book or a whole body of work, frankly, because it's an individual. This Earlier in my career, I ran across somebody that recommended reading something from Roger Martin. Roger was the former dean of the Rotman School of Management at the University of Toronto from like 1998 to I think 2013. But he wrote books like The Opposable Mind, which focuses on like integrative thinking of leaders. He wrote a lot of books around design thinking and integrative thinking. But the more recent one I was reading, which may not be completely applicable to marketers, but is called uh, When More is Not Better. And he kind of profiles a bunch of case studies of highly successful businesses and what makes them successful, even despite their size, which is kind of interesting too.
2: That is very interesting.
0: That is great. Sort of the less is more, I guess, is kind of what he's turning on.
2: Or could be more effective anyway.
0: Yeah, yeah, Yeah. that that's great. So, Alan, if you if you step back, I know a lot of our listeners, a lot of our clients ask this question all the time. They want to know what everyone else is doing, right? So, a little bit of FOMO, right? But if you sort of step back, kind of from your perspective, what brands, what companies, uh, what causes uh, do you follow, or think others should take notice of? Like, what's
1: maybe it's you know who's doing it well. Why? What are you seeing? What do you admire? Rattle off a few different options here. I mean, like on the cause front first. I'll get back to the 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 brands piece, but on the cause front, talked about my my dad's mental illness. There's kind of two groups in that space that I am following, or or even putting my money behind at times when I when I have the spare change to spare. One's called the Brain and Behavior Research Institute, I believe, or Foundation. I can give you guys links to this as well, but. They focus a lot on raw research and 100% of any donations that they, they give go directly to the research because they're underwritten. Their operations are underwritten by a family fund. So 100% of every dollar that goes to them goes right into brain and behavior research, which helps solve things like research around how to treat mental illness better and all types of mental illness from PTSD to anxiety disorders to bipolar, schizophrenia, et cetera, and ADHD. If you've got kids out there listening that are, are afflicted with ADHD. Another one, which is more innovative in recent history, anyway, and bringing back old. There's like a whole theme here this the today of bringing back old, old therapeutics or old techniques to new problems. But it's MAPS, which is the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies, and the work that they're doing to help with depression and PTSD by using things like psilocybin and Indian They're doing some phenomenal research, and and I think legitimizing the the opportunity there to uh, to help bring new treatments to people. But I'll get back to, br- so I, I said brands, and we're at that time of year where chocolate really matters in my household. And we love lint chocolate. And I like this example from a marketer standpoint and for marketers listening to this because I think they've been running the same ad for about 10 years now. and maybe slight variations they might update it with the actors that are playing the characters but it's always a chocolatier person making the chocolate it's so creamy and it's just like my mouth starts watering every time I start seeing the, the images. They've got the distinctive assets of their logo always in gold and very scripted they haven't modernized the logo at all they kept it the way it should be which is unique and distinctive to who they are, and I think it's literally the same ad for the last ten years. And I think it just says that good marketing works. And uh, in my house, if you don't have a lint ball in your mouth come Christmas time, we've ate them all. That's, that's missing that's, that's, Yeah, no, no we, they're all gone. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> we need to go back to the store. So
2: I know what commercial you're talking about as yes. you're describing it, yeah. but- and,
1: and me, it drives me and my wife crazy because it, you know, this is very. At the end, you know, there's a young woman who's eating the chocolate ball in a very sensual way. And and me and my wife look at each other and I go, can you eat your chocolate like that for me, please? And she says something that I shouldn't say on, on a podcast. <laughs> 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 but it works on many, many levels, you know, marketing works. I just ordered a case right now. <laughs> thanks. Thanks for the tip. Exactly. <laughs> What goes with chocolate is good booze, right? And so I'll I'll give a suggestion, a good gift suggestion for anybody out there. My wife got me this subscription to Shaker and Spoon, which is a a Brooklyn-based business, but they send you all the makings for like, I think it's like four cocktails. And all you have to do is you have to go buy the, the bottle of liquor, but they're really cool cocktails. And it actually helps me Like think about new spirits that I would never have thought of using before. And they give you enough where you can have at least another couple over, because I think there's four drinks for every recipe essentially that you can get out of it. So shaker and spoon is a a good gift idea for people.
2: That's a great suggestion. I love it. (laughs) Relative to the It's funny that you bring up the link commercial. I know what you're talking about, but there, I have seen other brands use the same commercials year over year over year at the holiday. And I often think to your point, like, well, it must be working because you haven't even bothered to change anything, not even the voiceover in some (laughs) cases. And I think there, I've seen plenty of marketing teams kind of change things because they get bored with it versus, you know, trying to figure out, is this working for our customers or not? It's fascinating to me.
1: On my podcast, I interviewed Raja Rajmanar, the the MasterCard CMO. And he he calls, he has a, there's an actual term he calls that, which is, he calls it new bride syndrome, where a new CMO comes in and says, oh, I've got to change everything. And it comes from his heritage of Living in India, growing up in India, and when the new bride comes, they live. The new bride lives in the, the household of the spouse, and she comes into the the home usually wanting to change everything how the family operates. <laughs> and, and so he's applied it to marketing. He's like, "Oh, that's just new bride syndrome."
2: Yep, that makes a lot. Of sense.
1: We, we've seen that as well, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes. yes.
2: <laughs> Well, maybe related. The final question—I'm really excited to hear your answer to this. What is the largest opportunity or threat to marketers today, if not New Bride Syndrome? Uh,
1: Ourselves. (laughs) I mean, really, the psych
2: major says ourselves.
1: Yes, yes, exactly, exactly. Wow. Yes, (laughs) you're making that connection. Yes, it it is. It's ourselves. I mean, I think it's always been true, and frankly, why I started the work that I have in terms of like podcasts that I do and and some of the thought leadership work I did even in the early 2000s around the CMO role and and working with the CMO club and people like that is that we need to constantly be getting better and reflecting on what's working and what's not working. And some of the people, and I've got one more book recommendation here, but some of the things that have impressed me the most are those highly successful teams, organizations, and they usually always have some sort of consistent reflection that goes on to help them focus and figure out how to get to the next level or improve. And I think the overused example of this would be anything in the military because they do after action reports, right? And that's a time where you are brutally honest, you say what happened, the good and the bad. And then we go figure out how do we eliminate the bad, right, and make it work even more efficiently the next time. And the Navy SEALs, are, I think, are known for this in spades. In the basketball world, and both of these examples are come from a book called The Culture Code by Daniel Coyle. And recommend this to anybody, especially leaders that are trying to lead for the first time. And he also, I don't watch the NBA. I grew up in the South and there's only one type of basketball and that's college basketball. But he talks about this great example of Greg Popovich, who's the San Antonio Spurs coach and the winningness coach in the NBA is my understanding. And how he manages his team and just the deep, not only the tough, atmosphere that he creates for his team to excel at a really high level, but the deep caring that he has for each individual on the team, you can't have one without the other. And I think I think that's something that that's kind of interesting as well. But at the end of the day, it's ourselves. We need to constantly just be continually improving ourselves.
2: That's tough, Alan. I got to say.
1: <laughs> I know, <laughs> I know that that's where the hard, the deep work comes. Yeah, <laughs>
2: exactly. <laughs>
1: and, and so, if you need a corporate psychologist, you know where to find one.
2: Uh, yeah, that, career opportunities right there. <laughs>
0: This has become a very Freudian episode. At the end,
2: it has. I really, yeah, it has. I really appreciate
1: it. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you, guys. I really appreciate this.
2: No, thank you Thanks, for, for answering your questions. It's been great. <laughs> I learned a lot.
1: <laughs> awesome.